And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day and a great nation, despite the fact that uh, there is an overwhelming sense on the right among conservatives and, yes, among most liberals, that uh, it is a bad thing that every aspect of our political system is being upstaged by arguments about indictments for one of the leading candidates for president. Uh, we'll be speaking about that with Daniel Henninger and about the cost of the Trump indictments, the cost and not just to conservatives, but to uh, to basically the country in general. Uh, we also are going to be speaking uh, a little bit about this new attempt to disqualify Trump from uh, ever uh, running for president. Based on what? Based on the fact that he violated Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which uh, forbids people from holding high office or even seeking high office if they have participated in a rebellion or an insurrection. Does Trump qualify? Uh, we will get to that. It's been an issue raised by a number of prominent uh, law professors. But there's also this story. Uh, the Enrique Tarrio, who is one of the leaders of the Proud Boys, uh, his um, prosecutors, he's already been convicted of seditious conspiracy. His prosecutors uh, have urged that he served 33 years in prison, which seems to me extraordinary. Uh, look, there are now uh, over 700 people who have either pleaded guilty or been found guilty about offenses relating to January 6th. There were, after all, 140 police officers who were attacked, some of them very seriously injured. It's a serious matter. But uh, 33 years for Enrique Tarrio, and, and again, Proud Boys, you don't get punished in America for ideas. And no matter how obnoxious those ideas may be, you get punished for destructive actions. And uh, the U.S. prosecutors asked a federal judge yesterday to sentence Proud Boys chairman Henry Enrique Tarrio and uh, leader Joe Biggs to 33 years in prison and other top members of the far-right extremist group to two to three decades behind bars after... Four of them were convicted of seditious conspiracy in the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. The scope of the defendant's conspiracy is vast, said the statement. The defendants organized and directed a force of nearly 200 to attack the heart of our democracy, a crime unparalleled in American history, said Assistant U.S. Attorneys Jason McCullough and Connor Mulroe. Uh, they said the Proud Boy leaders intentionally positioned themselves at the vanguard of political violence in this country. The prosecutors urged U.S. District Judge Timothy J. Kelly to hand down stiff sentences to deter others 
who would mobilize such violence in the future. The, the debate uh, and the debate about sentencing and the level of sentence is just how much of the violence and destructiveness of January 6th was actually uh, caused and directly involved the Proud Boys. And then on the other side of the political divide, on the extreme left side of the political divide, uh, this headline from the New York Times, woman who mailed ricin to Trump as she was trying to kill him is sentenced to 21 years in prison. See, I, I, I understand people look at this thing, why is she only getting 21 years when she actually attempted to kill the President of the United States? Uh, a woman was sentenced on Thursday to more than 21 years in prison for mailing letters containing the lethal substance ricin to President Donald J. Trump and eight Texas law enforcement officials in 2020. The Justice Department said it was when Trump was still president. The woman, Pascal Cecile Véronique Ferrier, uh, who is 55, of Quebec, she's Canadian, was sentenced in U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia after she completes her prison term. Well, she would be 88 when she's done with her prison term. She will be on a supervised release for the rest of her life, the Justice Department said in a statement. Ms. Ferrier is a dual citizen of Canada and France. She had faced charges in two separate criminal cases, one in Washington for mailing rice into Mr. Trump and one in the Southern District of Texas for mailing letters to law enforcement officials in that state. The Texas case was transferred to federal court in Washington. Uh, Ms. Ferrier pleaded guilty in January to nine counts of prohibitions with respect to biological weapons. At her plea hearing, she admitted she made the ricin at her home in Quebec in September 2020 and mailed it in letters to President Trump at the White House and to eight law enforcement officials in Texas. Uh, the letters, which referred to the poison as a special gift, were intercepted before they reached their destinations, according to uh, court documents. By the way, this is why we need well-equipped, uh, technologically sophisticated, uh, well-staffed law enforcement because they prevented anyone from getting hurt by this idiot. In a statement that she read in court yesterday, Ms. Ferrier said she had remorse for the psychological harm I did to my children, but not for my activist actions. The only regret I have, she added, is that it didn't work, that I couldn't stop Trump before he put in action his plans to try to stay in power. In her statement, a copy of which was provided by her lawyer, Ms. Ferrier, shared details about her life, including that she was born and raised in France before moving to Canada in her 40s. Ms. Ferrier said in her statement that she viewed her actions as a work of activism. I believe that the legal system of justice was not working. I felt that a strong message had to be sent in order to stop what I saw as tyrannic, tyrannical behaviors, this, uh, to me, is what makes me an activist. Uh, Ms. Ferrier is not the first to try to kill a United States president with ricin. In 2014, a man admitted to having sent a letter with ricin to President Barack Obama. The poison has been used in recent years 
in attempts to kill a number of prominent American officials. Ms. Ferrier was arrested on September 20, 2020, days after she mailed the Rison letters. When she was driving from Canada to Buffalo, she told border officials that she was wanted by the FBI for sending the letters. Uh, the authorities then discovered that Ms. Ferrier was traveling with a loaded firearm, hundreds of rounds of ammunition, two knives, a stun gun, pepper spray, a truncheon, and a fake ID, according to court filings. In each of the nine letters she sent, Ms. Ferrier said that if the special gift referring to the ricin did not work, she would find a better recipe for another poison. In the letter addressed to Mr. Trump, Ms. Ferrier wrote, you ruin USA and lead them to disaster. I have U.S. cousins, then I don't want the next four years with you as president, she wrote. Give up and remove your application for this election. After the letters were detected, mass destruction coordinators and hazardous materials experts were deployed to several locations in the United States to intercept them, and they were later, later sent to for additional testing according to court documents. Listen to this. In March 2019, while Ms. Ferrier was living in the United States, she was arrested by the police in Mission, Texas, and charged with possession of an unlicensed weapon, resisting arrest, and carrying a fake driver's license. Uh, while she was staying in Texas, the authorities discovered she had overstayed a six-month visa, and she was deported to Canada. Now she's deported to a 21-year sentence. Seems appropriate. We'll be right back. Daniel Henninger. Entertain your brain. This show is very entertaining. Every day on the Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show... Uh, the uh, debate is scheduled for just a few days from now. It's the middle of next week. It's Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be a major event, even though President Trump has said he won't show up. Is it too late for him to change his mind? No. Uh, he just changed his mind on that big press conference where he was going to be uh, putting forward uh, irrefutable evidence about the election corruption and fraud in Georgia. Uh, now that's not happening because his lawyers told him not to do it. And he announced today he's not doing that. So uh, is it uh, impossible for him to turn around and say, well, you know, this debate may be something that uh, I need to do? or an opportunity for me to build my lead uh, for the Republican nomination to even more formidable heights. Karl Rove urged uh, Trump to show up for the GOP debate and uh, basically talked about how useful it could be for the former president who also wants to be a future president. Uh, this is Karl Rove, former aide to President George W. Bush, clip three. If you were Donald Trump, would you show up at that debate in Milwaukee next Wednesday? I would, even though there, there, there's, you know, look, there are dangers. I mean, he will be, you know, he, if he shows up, he will be attacked by everybody uh, in one way, shape or form. Some of them will be 
uh, hard and direct. Uh, Chris Christie. Some of them will be, you know, glancing blows. Uh, some will be trying to move around him. But but I'd show up if I were him because this is this is where you get to demonstrate I am the leader and I will remain the leader. If he doesn't show up, there are going to be people who say to themselves, well. You know, didn't he tell us, didn't he mock Joe Biden for not debating? And hasn't he said he's the world's greatest debater? And maybe there's something that, that he doesn't want to want to talk about. And doubts will begin to grow. Doubts are growing. We've now got, depending on what poll you look at, a plurality or a majority of Republicans who say that if he's convicted of something in one of these federal suits, in one of these four lawsuits, uh, for indictments, excuse me, they're, they're not going to vote for him. So he's got to find ways to assuage those growing concerns. And the best way to do it is to show up on August August 23rd and September 27th. And uh, again, the question will be how they handle the issue of Trump if he's not there. Uh, Ron DeSantis was uh, on con in conversation on stage with Eric Erickson. And again, also urging, of course, his uh, competitor for the presidential nomination to actually be there in Milwaukee and to join the conversation. Uh, listen, this is clip 16. Well, we're prepared either way. Um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And I think everyone should debate uh, if you qualify. I think you owe it to the people to put out your vision, uh, to talk about your record, answer questions about, about your record and decisions that you may have made or not made. And if you're not willing to do that, then I think that, that people are not going to look kindly on that. So who knows what will end up happening. Uh, we'll be prepared either way. Okay, again, apparently the alternative that Trump is planning to offer is a conversation uh, with one of his big fans, uh, the uh, Tucker Carlson. And, uh, of course, that won't be on Fox uh, because <laughs> uh, President Trump and, nor, and Tucker Carlson both have uh, uh, sort of wounded feelings toward Fox uh, and toward the... Uh, it's Martha McCallum and Brett Baer who are going to be hosting this debate on Wednesday. But uh, Chris Christie will definitely be there. And as a prelude, he was interviewed on MSNBC. And he was asked uh, the kind of question that every candidate has to be able to deal with effectively, which is, OK, what makes you want to be president of the United States? Here's Chris Christie's answer, clip five. Why do you want to be president of the United States? Joe, because I want our country to go back to doing big things. We have become so small in the way we divide ourselves, pit ourselves against each other, small in the issues that we're arguing about. Look, we've got big things to deal with in the entitlement programs, big issues to deal with on getting our economy back where inflation is manageable for people. Big things to do around the world in terms of standing up to authoritarian dictators like Putin and Xi and Kim Jong-un uh, and the, the, the mullahs in Iran. We have big issues that we need to deal with when a third of our kids don't read at grade level in this country. We need to radically change our educational system. Uh, and, and when you look at every key moment, Joe, in our nation's history, when we've been confronted with huge problems like this, we've elected big leaders like Washington, Lincoln, FDR, Ronald Reagan, who went in and whatever you thought of them on the way in, on the way out, you looked at it and said, because they dared us to sacrifice and do big things, 
that our country was bigger, stronger, richer, and freer when they were done. That's the kind of president I'm going to be, and that's why I'm running. Okay. <laughs> the answer to that question doesn't get much better than that. That's, uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, I think that Chris Christie is uh, very likely to stand out in the debate. Uh, the answer about doing big things and big ambitions for the country. Uh, there's a question that was uh, put to somebody else who has been intermittently critical of President Trump, Bill Barr, his former attorney general, who of course helped him dispense with the Russia hoax, as it's known. Uh, Bill Barr was asked very directly, does he plan to vote for Trump, assuming that Trump is the nominee. This is the answer of the former attorney general, clip one. He'd be the Republican nominee, though, regardless, right? Well, if he and, wins the nomination, would, would yes. Bill Barr support him? Well, I've already said I would jump off that bridge when I get to it. But he, he would be the Republican standard bearer. That's right. But I, as I've you said... now, the way you feel now, would you? Well, I have to, well, you know, I have to wait and see all the evidence that comes out. Uh, about his conduct and so forth. Right now, most of it is allegations, but um, you know, I'd have to I'd have to wait and see what the situation is. I, I've already explained that if I thought that one of two people is going to end up as the president, then I wouldn't throw my vote away. I would try to make a decision who would do the least damage to the country. But if there were other options, I would also consider. Would you just not vote for president? Vote on no. I think down ticket. You, no. If, no, he's going to vote. He's obviously not ready to commit himself. Uh, there is a piece today that we will catch up with. Is Joe Biden electable? Uh, there are, says Kimberly Strassel, a number of things that make it difficult to imagine him winning, no matter who he's running against. Uh, we will get to that. Coming up, Daniel Henninger about the cost America is paying for the Trump indictments and all of the raging controversy surrounding them. Daniel Henninger of the Wall Street Journal, next on The Medved Show. This is going to be a little bit provocative. The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show. Daniel Henninger is always one of the most insightful, uh, one of the most uh, thoughtful commentators on the passing scene. His most recent column, his column is called Wonderland, and it's every Thursday in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, yesterday's column is entitled The Trump Indictment's High Price, and some of it is so well written, and it seems to me so inarguable that I need to share it with you, which is many Republicans do want to move past the Trump mayhem, but it is getting harder to see how the pro-Trump resentment vote does anything but increase through this year. The serial indictments have many non-Trump Republicans furious. And uh, then he talks about the prosecutorial overkill the overflowing kitchen sink of criminal counts, 
is starting to back out all other 2024 considerations. With that in mind, Daniel, do you think it's a, a good thing that the president, has, uh, former president, has decided he's not going to show up at the debate? At least there'll be a chance to talk about something else other than his legal problems? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a double-edged sword for sure. Uh, if he showed up, the questions would undoubtedly concentrate on all these indictments. Uh, they will to a certain extent if he doesn't, and uh, the reporting at the moment is that he's going to probably skip the debate um, that will allow all the others to try to talk about substance uh, and Joe Biden, as a matter of fact. Um, I think probably, you know, Trump's support is running at the moment around 50 percent, over 50 percent, I believe 30 percent of that is the hardcore Trump base. He's always received about 30 percent of the vote. And I think 20 percent of it is that resentment vote that uh, is just furious at uh, all of these prosecutions. But I think, you know, when you look at the number there, Michael, uh, it's the same as it was in 2016. Um, his, his total percentage is not that high. I mean, if it were Barack Obama running for a second term, his support among Democrats would be 80 percent. Uh, Trump's is just over 50 percent, which suggests that there are a lot of Republicans out there who may be gettable. And um, this is such a volatile situation that uh, if Trump simply decides to boycott a serious Republican primary debate, could cause some of that percentage of uh, undecided, not so much undecideds, but uh, gettables to step back and take a hard look at some of these other Republican candidates. And when you say that they are they are gettables, you're talking about about 20 percent of uh, Republicans you think who are leaning toward Trump right now because they're so angry at the prosecutions and because of the lack of prosecution at Hunter Biden. Uh, do, do you um, uh, and you also mentioned in your column that you had previously assumed that it would be very difficult for President Trump to win in November, but now you're rethinking that. Why? Well, I think it's because that uh, the, the resentment, uh, which is real, I think many of us encounter it among non-Trump Republicans is getting stronger and stronger and as well there is the prospect that his opposition could in fact be joe biden and joe biden an incumbent president has to be the weakest presidential candidate the republicans have uh, the democrats have put up in a very long time and uh, a lot of it has to do a with the economy uh, I mean, his approval rating on the economy is in the mid to low 30s. It's just terrible. Uh, that would hurt any president. But Joe Biden clearly has uh, cognitive difficulties, which are just so obvious to people that it adds up to uh, a candidate that many, I think, independent voters are going to find it extremely difficult to vote for. So the idea among some Democrats that uh, Trump would be almost certainly uh, a loser against Joe Biden. I think because of these prosecutions, that's becoming a less obvious argument. 
For for those people in the Republican Party who do not want to vote for Biden, who do not want to see a second term of this, who certainly don't want to see uh, at any time a presidency for Kamala Harris, for people who feel that way, what what is the best alternative right now to uh, an, another spin of the wheel with uh, Donald Trump? Well, I think that's for uh, Republican voters to decide. Uh, they've got serious candidates, uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, certainly there's been some decline in his support. Uh, but, you know, that none of these candidates has have been able to stand together before a national audience. Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, uh, and uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, and the rest of them. And for better or worse, these debates, however short the answers are, are the vehicle that we use now to get a sense of uh, these candidates and the possibility that they could be legitimate presidential candidates. So I think we have to give them the opportunity this coming Wednesday and then a second debate uh, next month to present themselves to the American people and see if we start to sort out uh, who among them might be a viable competitor to Donald Trump. Of course, Michael, that does suggest, and I think most of us would agree, that if they all stay in the race for reasons of vanity, uh, Trump will simply divide the opposition and roll towards the nomination with uh, around 50 percent of the primary vote. Uh, the country, as I say in the column, Michael, this country really needs a serious presidential election on a wide array of issues, and that includes foreign policy. We don't need a presidential election based simply on whether uh, people are more disgusted with Joe Biden or more disgusted with Donald Trump. <laughs> we, need, we need an election that we can actually think about. Yeah, and and again, with some of the problems we have in crime, in education, in homelessness, uh, the uh, people see it in local politics, and yet national politics, the fact that uh, we spend so much of our time talking about, uh, let's see, who has uh, the better list of indictments? Is it Fonnie Willis or Jack Smith? I mean... The idea that this is the one uh, all-absorbing American preoccupation at the moment seems uh, bizarre and destructive to the country. If you had to guess, uh, who do you think uh, attracts attention and maybe momentum in the debate coming up next Wednesday night? I think the eyes are going to be on uh, essentially three of them. Uh, Ron DeSantis to see uh, whether he has what it takes. Uh, uh, Tim Scott, because he has such a positive, uh, interesting story to t tell, and he can talk particularly about a wide range of subjects. And uh, inevitably, Vivek Ramaswamy, who has been uh, impressing people. I think there will be a huge amount of curiosity to see whether uh, he could conceivably come out of the blue and become a presidential candidate. I think those three are the ones that will be focused on uh, in Wednesday night. 
Daniel Henninger's always so much appreciate your participation in the show. His uh, column about the cost of the indictments and the high price that they are inflicting on the United States is linked at our website at michaelmedved.com. There's an amazing statement that I think is going to have some repercussions by Vivek Ramaswamy concerning Ukraine and Putin. Uh, we will get to that and to more coming up on the Medved Show. Kudos for having the best show on radio. The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show, uh, there is a big new statue uh, that uh, has been consecrated, actually blessed by the local clergy. And no, it's nowhere in the United States. It's in the region of Skov, which is part of Russia. That's Putin land. And uh, the new statue has gained a lot of attention because it's a statue of one of the greatest mass murderers in all of human history. His name is Joseph Stalin. And honestly, knowing uh, a lot of uh, former Russians, as I, as I do, uh, and, and having my own roots in Russia, the, the, um, the number of people, the percentage of people in Russia who have family members who were murdered by Stalin, uh, who uh, were, were killed during his years of, of tyranny, is very high. But that doesn't prevent a, uh, the, the religious establishment in Russia, which has been totally co-opted by Putin, uh, from admiring and actually blessing, consecrating this statue of a guy who was known for murdering priests and religious believers once upon a time. Uh, this is clip 11. Um, and I am not sure of the Russian there, but they were honoring uh, someone who uh, uh, deserves no honor. And speaking of which, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy was on CNN, and he is a wonderful communicator, he's a good talker, but uh, he gives his own perspective on the war in Ukraine, which is different from that of any other major Republican candidate or Democratic candidate for that matter. Uh, this is Vivek Ramaswamy on CNN, clip 15. The Russia-China military alliance is the single greatest military threat that we face today. Hypersonic missile capabilities, nuclear capabilities in Russia, far ahead of us or China, a naval capacity in China ahead of ours, combined with an economy that we depend on for our modern way of life, those two nations are in a military alliance with one another, and nobody in either political party is talking about it 
Worst of all, our engagement in Ukraine is further driving Russia into China's arms. So my foreign policy centers on weakening that alliance. That you advances let, American but interests. But you would let Putin have that parts of Ukraine. That is how we actually secure peace. But you would let Putin I have would parts of Ukraine. Freeze the current lines. I would, I would freeze the current lines of control, and that would leave parts of the Donbas region with Russia. I would also further make a commitment that NATO will not admit Ukraine to NATO. But there are even greater wins that I will that get for the United like a win States for in return. Putin. The top of the list. No, well, he, our goal should not be for Putin to lose. Our goal should be for America to win. That's what we have forgotten in this country, is that driving Russia into the ground is not a U.S. strategic goal. Okay, nobody is talking about driving Russia into the ground. It's uh, preventing this incredibly brutal invasion. They are now estimating 250,000 Russians have died in this invasion so far. And... The idea that our goal should not be for Putin to lose, our goal should be for America to win, this is a zero-sum game. Uh, Putin uh, wins this war or is perceived by anyone to have won this war. That's a, a disaster for the United States of America. Meanwhile, there is more about the uh, the ongoing struggle for the presidency and uh, the uh, the objections to Fannie Willis and uh, Jack Smith and others who um, have uh, created uh, this situation of multiple, multiple indictments for President Trump. Uh, there's actually not just crazies, well, maybe a little bit crazies, uh, Steve Bannon, uh, former White House aide to President Trump, former brains behind his campaign. He actually seemed to threaten Fonnie Willis in a fiery speech. This is clip eight. This is why I keep saying the J6 thing on uh, with President Trump in Georgia. We're going to ram the stealing of Georgia down her throat. And we're going to ram, hold it, and we're going to ram it up the ass of the governor. Okay, he was speaking at uh, a meeting for the Election Crime Bureau, uh, which he, uh, uh, in which he presided uh, together with um, Mike Lindell and uh, General Flynn and more. And uh, with all of that going on, George Santos uh, is in the news again. And it's not just because he had a, a campaign aide who masqueraded as a, another congressman's chief of staff. Uh, he was on Good Day New York, uh, George Santos. And uh, the exchange sounded like this, uh, uh, clip 17. Actually, studies point that most people lie on their resumes. It's just, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's the reality. Yeah, but you lied about everything. Well, not true, right? You but, lied but, about your mom. Well, not true either, but she, she, uh, she was, again, she I, never, I never said my mother died on 9-11. I never said that. That was never said. 
all, all that people like to say is, oh, you killed your mother twice. That's not true. I mean, my mother was my best friend. She was my, like, when I lost my mother, it was the hardest thing for me in my life. And it, it's really painful when you see people trying to say, oh, you killed your mother twice. No, I didn't, right? Of course. But you, I, know, you did say that she escaped out of the South Tower. My mother was in downtown Manhattan in the South Tower the day of 9-11, made it out. That is fact. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, this is uh, truly unbelievable, and it goes on. Um, the uh, uh, there's this also on uh, by by Joe Scarborough, talking about the advantage, not just of uh, getting to the trials quickly, and some of. Uh, the charges that have been made against the former president, but actually having those trials wherever possible, and it's more possible in Atlanta than anywhere else, on television. Uh, this is Joe Scarborough, Clip 7. Isn't it interesting that Democrats want cameras in the courtroom? Democrats want transparency? Democrats want this trial before the election? If you're innocent... That's the problem. What are you saying? You said, I want, yeah, I want cameras in the courtroom. Right, right. Yeah, get this. I'm innocent. Give us time to get ready. And you're damn right. I want this before the election because I want my name cleared. What does Donald Trump and his Republican supporters do? They say, oh, no, 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 no cameras in the courtroom. No, no, we don't want no transparency. We don't, we, we, we don't want people to actually see what he did. And yet, let's push it off after the election. After the election, we don't want the jury. Mm -hmm. We don't have the jury to have a say before the election. Let me tell you, that's, that's somebody who's guilty. Because if you're accused of doing something you didn't do, you want transparency if, if you've been charged. You want that trial as soon as possible. You want it on TV for all the world to see. They don't. Isn't that actually... Um, a, a powerful argument that the in, entire country, uh, a, assuming that President uh, Trump is not going to be in prison, that he's not going to be convicted on uh, most of these charges against him, to get it out of the way as soon as possible, there's a suggestion that came up by a uh, an actually a letter writer to the New York Times who suggested a plea bargain that could actually save the country from some of the agony we're going through over this entire nightmare. We will get to that, but there's a new chapter in the nightmare, and I'm not talking about Blue Beetle, which is the big new uh, superhero movie we're going to be reviewing. Uh, I'm talking about a group of law professors, some of them very distinguished and credible, who are trying to advance a scheme to uh, make clear that, in their opinion, Trump is constitutionally ineligible to even run for president. Why? We will get to that and more coming up in this great